reminded of a movie I watched as a kid from the 90s called The Little Rascals. And you may remember in the movie when the little rascal Alfalfa, president of the He-Man Woman Haters Club, dictated a Valentine's Day letter reading out loud as he wrote a letter to Darla. And as he wrote, he dictated to his little pals, but really he wrote something different, saying, Dear Darla, I hate your stinking guts. You make me vomit. Your scum between my toes. Love, Alfalfa. When really the camera shot goes to the letter and in crayon, he wrote, Dear Darla, I can't live without you. Really. I'm not kidding. Your Romeo, Alfalfa. Jesus' letter has indeed a speaking of nausea. Your works are making me want to vomit. But at the end, there's no doubt that heart of love, the heart of care, a heart that is just romancing his church and calling them to come back to him to come back to a gracious reward. The church in Laodicea is known as the church that nauseates God. It very well speaks of the church of the last days as we get into Revelation, a prophetic book. The church of the last days is a church that Jesus himself says, you nauseate me. You make me sick. When I see your works, I want to vomit. Not exactly words of compliment or praise. Yet tragically, these are the words that the risen and glorified Christ speaks to the church in the city of Laodicea. A very real historical church was nauseating. It made Christ ill. And you'll remember that each letter to each church in chapters 2 and 3, seven letters to seven churches close out with this exhortation, the same as in verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's an old hymn that says, I'm listening in. I'm listening in to hear what God says about my sin. And by the Spirit today, may we listen in to what the Spirit says about our sin. All that's going on in us around this park, I just encourage you, it's okay to, to you know, we got kids and we've got this and that, but would you listen in today? Just make a special point that whatever my ears are open, Lord, to the book of Revelation and the church in Laodicea where the main idea is that churches may lose sight of their dependence on Christ for all the things they're deceived and useless, but Jesus graciously promises healing to anyone who would rely upon Him 
for their every need. And so let's get into it. Verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea. You know, this Laodicea is the only one of the church out of the seven to have its name in the dictionary. A Laodicean is defined as a person who is lukewarm and indifferent about religion. So if you ever call a lukewarm Christian a Laodicean and they get offended, just it's just a dictionary term. That's all I'm doing. And I use it in Scrabble all the time, so that's good as well. But Laodicea was a city south of Philadelphia in Turkey, St. Philadelphia Church that is written to here. It was a very prosperous city. Very prosperous in that it had a great industry for clothing, for apparel. The people were known to have beautiful clothes, specifically shiny, black, luxurious, woolen garments. It's actually where the song, Black Sheep, Black Sheep, Have You Any Wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full, but they're all in Laodicea, okay? Because it was all, no, it's not, that's not true. It had nothing to do with that. I don't think, I didn't actually look it up, but. Laodicea was famous for black wool. And keep these things in mind as we go through the text. Okay? It was a prosperous city. Very wealthy. It was a center of banking. Center of banking. Prosperous in that regard. Laodicea was located in the Lycus Valley. Nearby two cities, two Turkish cities... Hierapolis and Colossae. The interesting thing there is when you read the book of Colossians, Laodicea is mentioned. Make sure you read this letter to the Laodiceans, Colossians 4.16, and make sure you read the letter to the Laodiceans. That's It kind of helps us understand why, because they're nearby. Laodicea was so wealthy, so prosperous, that following a devastating earthquake in A.D. 60, they would rebuild themselves without any help from Rome. So their whole city is knocked down, but that's okay. We've got plenty of cash. We're going to build it back up. We don't need anybody or anything. The Roman historian Tacitus said, Laodicea arose from the ruins By the strength of her own resources and with no help from us. So Laodicea was a a city that in a sense could pull herself up by her own bootstraps. Maybe a bit of a Prineville type people, you know. We can make it on our own. We're tough and resourceful. Now, despite all of her prosperity, one thing that she did not have going for her was that Laodicea had an absence of abundant drinking water. She did not have a convenient source of drinking water. She sat high up on a plateau, and so she would have water brought in through aqueducts and piping from Hierapolis and from Colossae. Now, what's interesting about this is Hierapolis would bring in hot water. Hierapolis had boiling hot water. It was medicinal. 
It was known for its medicinal purposes, and it would send very graciously hot water resources down to Colossae. But guess what happened to that hot water as it made it down all the way to Laodicea, past Colossae to Laodicea? What, what would happen to that hot water? It would grow colder, right? Well, halfway between Hierapolis and Colossae, or in Laodicea was Colossae, that had just delicious, fresh spring water for drinking. And so they would send down via aqueduct uh, to Laodicea fresh, cool, crisp spring water. And what do you think happened to that fresh, cool spring water as it went across seven miles of Turkish aqueduct? Of course, it would warm up a little bit, causing both water sources to be what? Lukewarm, correct? Okay, it's very helpful in our study. And so, interestingly enough, historically, visitors to Laodicea who were not used to this tepid water would come and they'd get a glass of water and they would spit it out in the street. You could always tell when someone wasn't a native, they'd... Or vomit it out. You know, the, especially the medicinal water from Hierapolis was not very tasty. It was the kombucha of the day. Nice and lukewarm and tepid and moderate with the nice mucous membrane on You know, you guys are the kombucha people. Shannon, you know what I'm talking about. And, I mean, I, I do a little gagging with the kombucha. But, you know, whether it's cold or hot. But, you know, just that nice Hollywood style all over the place. All right? They were known to be the spitters, because of this lukewarm water. Interesting, though, when Jesus says to the church of Laodiceans, the, the direct translations, and in the King James you see this, it's to the church of the Laodiceans. The ch- to the church of the Laodiceans. Now, there's a significant difference in this church because it behaved as if the church belonged to them. Instead of it being Jesus' church, he's the chief shepherd of the church. He leads, directs, provides. We rely on him. We're tapped into him. We're abiding in him. Laodicea, it is our church. It's our church. We got this. In fact, Laodicea, two Greek words, means Laos people, Decia rule. The people rule this church. It's interesting enough when you study church history and the canon of the Bible being compiled, guess which one council rejected the canonicity of the book of Revelation? The council of Laodicea. Full council on, you know, we just want to make sure we've got... Every book that should be in here, we're going to recognize what's already authoritative. And hey guys, I just propose that we leave out the book of Revelation. What do you guys think? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, we will not want that in our Bibles, okay? And of course, we can all imagine why. Jesus goes on, just as he does in every church, to describe who is writing the letter. He says, I'm the Amen which means I'm the truth, I'm the yes. He says I'm the faithful and true witness. Again, I'm I'm the truth, I'm the truthy truth, and I'm a true witness. 
And what I'm about to say to you, you guys, you need to hear. I'm not making this up. I'm not skewing things. And how interesting. Jesus, the one who went through trials himself and who had false witnesses come and bear false testimony in his hour of trial, says, hey, in this hour where I'm examining you, you need to know, I know what false witnesses do, and I'm not one of those. I'm going to be speaking the truth in love to you. He says, I'm the beginning of the creation of God. The word, now, just real quick, the cults love to take this verse and to say, see, this is a proof text that shows that Jesus was a created being. So it's understood that this Laodicean church was was kind of wavering on Jesus being God, fully God, and fully man. That's Orthodox Christian belief. And yet they were kind of floundering, and Jesus wants it to be known, hey, you guys, I'm the beginning of the creation of God. And what that means in the Greek, the word beginning is the word arche. I'm the arche. It's where we get our word architect. And so it's not saying Jesus was the beginning of the creation, so like he was created. He was kind of like the beginning of that. No, he's the architect. He's the source. He's the originator. Jesus is the source of creation. And so Jesus is making this message known to the Laodiceans. Hey, you guys are beginning to waffle here, and you need to know I'm the beginning of creation. And by that I mean it all starts with me. I'm the creator. And you know there's much to be said on that. You might just write down in your notes, I, man, I'm, I'm like recognizing my time frame here, and I, I just feel like the Lord has us move on. But write in your notes, Colossians 1, 15 through 18. And Hebrews 1, uh, 1 through 3. Okay, it's in those positions. They're just great proof texts as well as the whole chapter of John 1 and the whole book of John. And the NIV we see... Maybe you have an NIV here where it says, I'm the ruler over God's creation. So I reign. I'm the beginning. I'm the arche. I'm the architect. I'm the source. I'm the origin. And just one quick reference here. John 1, 3. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Let's move on to the next verse. Verse 15. I know your works. That's a common phrase, isn't it, in the book of Revelation? Almost every church, he says, I know your works. And he says, here's your works. You're neither cold nor hot. You're not freezing cold and you're not boiling hot. Now, those of you that have been with us through all seven letters now, you'll know that Jesus typically says something nice something good, some commendation. And you're going to notice here, Jesus doesn't have anything nice to say to Laodicea. Not a single thing. Everything the church in Laodicea has done is a stench in his nostril. It's an ache to his heart. It's nauseating to his stomach. And he says, I know your works. And, and here's what I'm seeing 
you're not cold or hot. You're not the water from Hierapolis. You're not the hot springs boiling medicinal water. Nor are you the refreshing, cool, satisfying water. You're, you're neither one of those things. And it says, Jesus says, I could wish that you were one or the other. I could wish it. Or a direct translation is, how I wish it. How I wish that you were one or the other. Listen to what Spurgeon said. The church in Laodicea is not so cold as to give up their Christian work or to abandon their meetings for prayer or to renounce the gospel. If they were, they could be convinced of their error and brought to repentance. They are not hot for the truth, nor hot for conversions, nor hot for holiness. They are not fiery enough to burn the stubble of sin, nor zealous enough to make the devil angry, nor fiery enough to make a sacrifice of themselves upon the altar of their God. And you guys, I believe we would do well today to take a moment. I know there's stuff going on around. It's all right. Don't let this scripture go by. And if you would, maybe just close your eyes right now. And let the Holy Spirit take stock of your heart. You may not be ice cold against Jesus. Well, I'm not an atheist. I'm not an agnostic. I, You know, my Facebook profile still says religion, Christian. I, you know, I, I'm... I, I've never murdered anybody. I'm going into that, you know, and this and that. And, and I don't hate God. I kind of let Christians do their thing. But neither are you boiling hot for Jesus. You know, we Christians often use the phrase, on fire for Jesus. Just burning. We're torches for Jesus. Living for Jesus. As Spurgeon said it, we're not hot for the truth. We're not hot to see people saved. We're not hot for holiness. We're not fire enough, fiery enough to burn the stubble of our sin. We're not on fire. And again, just maybe just reflect for one minute. I think one of the most important things we could do today is just let the Lord speak to where you are at and I am at. Maybe you're not cold. Maybe you haven't made the declaration like, I'm out. But neither are you on fire. And Jesus would say today, you know what? I, w I could wish, I could, I could wish that you were just cold. It'd, it'd almost be better off because then people could talk to you and say, dude, you just, like, you don't believe in Jesus. Or I could just wish, I just wish you were on fire for me. But verse 16 says, so then, because you are lukewarm... And neither cold nor hot. You're just right in the middle. I will vomit you out of my mouth. 
And notice kind of the tenses there. I could wish you were hot or cold. I could, how I wish that. But because you are neither, I will. Here's the promise. It's not a safe place to be. It's not a good place to be. I will vomit you out of my mouth. The language speaks of spewing it and hacking and heaving and gagging and regurgitating. The lukewarm out of his mouth. Think of your favorite beverage. Think of the beverages of our day. You know, I recently, over the last few years, have really loved coffee, you know. Wake up, got to have my coffee, got to set my coffee timer. It's kind of a new thing, you know. It was like, wasn't always that way. And I like a good, hot, fresh cup of coffee with some French vanilla creamer in there. And it just helps you wake up, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. And then now, we've got iced coffees, right? And I think Starbucks even has like nitrous iced coffee, you know? And But, you know, it's like hot, delicious. Ice cold, delicious. And then, what's that lukewarm, right? You know it. You know it. You're just like, oh, I hope it's hot. Or, you know when your hot actually goes like cold and you're like, oh, it's actually an iced coffee now. But when it's not yet and it's just lukewarm, it's nasty. It's nasty. I actually got an ice, I got a cold brew from the Lebanon Starbucks the other day. And it was without a straw now. And I'm like, what's up with that, you know? And it had this weird lip thing. And I'm like, got my tongue stuck in it, you know? And I noticed, we're driving along and I'm like, Lindsay, how's your coffee? I'm like, well, it's not cold. It's, it's, where's the ice? It wasn't cold. And of course you can insert, you know, your favorite beverage, you know, a nice hot glass of milk before bed and a nice cold glass of milk for breakfast. And then that stuff that sat on the counter all day. And it's like starting to curdle. It's on the gross side. And of course, Jesus says, you know, he gets it. We get it. He knows we get it. And he knows the Laodiceans get it with the lukewarm source of water and the spewing out. In fact, in a sense, Jesus is saying, hey, spitting community, those of you that spit your lukewarm water out, you make me want to get you out of my mouth. Something's got to change. It's a graphic picture of rebellion. As the Laodiceans, or not rebellion, rejection rather. It's been said that the Laodiceans were a little too cold to be hot. And a little too hot to be cold. They were lukewarm. William Barclay said, The very expression of a lukewarm Christian is a contradiction in terms. For a lukewarm Christian has no claim on being called a Christian at all. In fact, probably half the books that I read this week, half would actually say that this isn't actually even, like these are not actually even Christians that he's talking to. And you'll see the description that Jesus uses in the next verses. And, you know, some would say, well, you know, there's a church and there's a lampstand and Jesus, there's, there's at least some, but, but man, why would we even have to do that game with each other? Like, well, are they Christians? Well, you know, technically they're Christians, but this, you know, and it's like, I don't know about you guys, but I just don't want to be 
this people here, right? Like, I don't want to be the one where they're like, well, is he or isn't he? And I don't know. And it's uh, like, man, I want to be hot. I, I want to be hot. No, I didn't mean that. But how am I doing? No, I'm kidding. Okay. I want to be hot for Jesus. Johnny, that is not my quote to put on the YouTube channel this week. Dirty rascal. And I'll just tell you, I don't want to be cold. I mean, is anybody like, yeah, I want to be cold for Jesus. I want to be hot for Jesus. And I think today is just a day where the Holy Spirit desires to kindle an affection for him, a desire for him. The Laodicean church was lukewarm. And as G. Campbell Morgan says, that is the worst form of blasphemy. It's the worst form of blasphemy. Move on. Let's look at verse 17. Everybody doing okay? Stretch it out a little bit. It's okay. A couple verses of Revelation. We can do it little distraction. Don't worry about it. Moving on. Great word from Jesus for us today. Verse 17. Because you say, now real quick, that word because, as you're learning to study your Bible, it's a connecting phrase. It's a connecting word. You don't just hop into that. Because, because what? Well, because, 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 because. Because he's going to do some spitting. He's going to do some vomiting of people in a church. So, why? What's what's the big deal? Lukewarm, really not big of a deal? It's because of this. Because you say, I am rich. Because you say, I've become wealthy. Because you say, I have need of nothing... And you do not know, here's the reality, you're a wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Really good stock for us to take of ourselves is our estimation of ourselves, is it a real ex, what did I say? Ex, use it right the first time. Examination Is our examination of ourselves a, a good, true one? Or are we deceiving ourselves? And maybe again, sometimes it's just good to close our eyes and just think for a second. If I were to take stock of my life, would I say, yeah, I'm, I am, man, I just, I've got it. I've got this down. I'm so rich. I've become wealthy. I don't need anything. I'm just self-righteous, self-sufficient. I don't need anything from the Lord. I'm good. I don't need what God's provided for me. I, I got it all in and of myself. I'm self-sufficient. But really, the, the true estimation of this is you're wretched. You're wretched. That means it's unfortunate. It's a word that's used of ravaged lands and devastated countries that have been pillaged in warfare. That's, that's, that, with that, and I would just say this, without Jesus today, you're wretched. Okay? So just, let's just stock that up in our heart. Like, okay, 
whatever I'm approximating of myself that's apart from Jesus, it's not rich and doesn't need anything. It's wretched, okay? It's like a, a wasteland in your heart. And, and also the word wretched can mean miserable, which is interesting because then he goes on and says, you're miserable. So it's a double miserable. You're miserable, miserable without me. That's a Jesus approximation of you without him. And you are poor. So here's Laodicea. We're rich. We've got this textile industry. Everyone's cruising around in their marina wool. You know, we, we've got banking industry going on. We are good. We can rebuild ourselves. And Jesus says, you're poor. And the language literally is translated, you are a crouching, cowering, beggarly pauper. That's a, that's a rebuke to those that took pride in their banking culture. And not only that, but you're blind, Jesus says. This hit home for the Laodiceans because they also had a, a, a huge medical world there where they specialized in optometry and they had special purgin paste salve that they would put on their eyes and they made tons of money off of this stuff. And so when Jesus speaks to their blindness, he's hitting home on every level here. And he's saying, you're blind. Well, we have this, it doesn't matter. It's not doing anything. He says, basically, I'm the Jesus who spit in the mud, made a little mud, stuck it on a dude's eyes, and he was healed. I'm the real physician. I'm the real optometrist. And I'm telling you, you're blind. Okay? Have you guys ever heard the tale of the emperor's new clothes. I'm not going to get into all of it, but the quick basic rundown is this emperor, very wealthy, loved clothes, would wear a different pair of brand new flashy clothes every day. And a couple of weasels, a couple of uh, con men came and told the king, told the emperor, uh, hey, you know, we create this incredible fabric that is just amazing to the eye. And anyone who doesn't notice how amazing it is, they're so basic that they're just not going to see any fabric at all. And so the king said, this sounds incredible, make me some. And so they began to work with this special invisible fabric on the loom. And so the king would send many workers to go inspect it. But because the workers didn't want to be basic, they would talk about how incredible the fabric is. Until it's time for the emperor to try on these new clothes and all of his friends said, just looking amazing, we ain't basic, that's a beautiful garment and the emperor cruised around town in his birthday suit, okay? There's a whole lot of morals there. Again, I wasn't gonna tell the story I basically did, but. But the Laodiceans thought that they were looking pretty sharp when in Jesus' estimation they were naked. There's so much irony in Jesus's uh, reflection of the Laodiceans because of their culture. It's incredible. And Jesus says in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Gold refined in the fire. Here's 
So you're, you're wretched, wretched, poor, miserable, blind, and naked. But here's the good news. There's deliverance from that. I want you to come to me, and I want you to be refined. I want you to live a Christian life. It's a life of refining. It's a life of trial. That's what the, the scriptures speak of refining is, you know, you're going to go through some time of correction and purification. Come to me. I want to purify your life. Get in the midst of the heat is what Jesus is saying. Lord Nelson at the Battle of Trafalgar called all of his generals together and said, Gentlemen, in case these signals cannot be seen, no man can do wrong if he places his ship against the enemy ship and engage in battle. Not, it, you, know, you can't go wrong by getting into the battle of Christianity. Get into the fight. Get into letting God refine you, letting God correct you, letting God use you, and even let persecution come into your life. And so this call to come purchase gold deals with their issue of poverty, does it not? You're poor, but come get gold from me. And come get white garments, Jesus says, that you may be clothed, that that shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Laodicea, again, famous throughout the Roman, uh, Roman Empire for their production of beautiful wool, smooth in texture, glossy in black. And Jesus says, I want to clothe you in my robes of righteousness. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 3, If indeed we've been clothed, we shall not be found naked. If we put on Jesus' clothing of righteousness, we will be seen as righteous before him. But that speaks of an exchange that must take place. We must let the Lord take our, our impurity and take our regs of filth in order to give us those robes. It's also an exchange because Jesus, who wore the white robes of righteousness, took on our sinful condition. As 2 Corinthians says in chapter 5, verse 21, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He made Jesus take on the filth of our of humanity so that we could take on the righteousness of God. And I would ask you today, are you a Laodicean here today in the sense that as you come to this park, as Jesus looks at you, you're just an unclean thing? This is from the book of Isaiah where it says, we are all like an unclean thing. And all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. If you're here today resting in your own goodness, your own righteousness, your own pedigree, your own man, red-blooded Americanism to, to give you a right standing before God, I'm telling you now, you are wretched, poor, blind, miserable, and naked. You need Jesus probably more than anybody in the world right now. Come to Jesus recognize you are an unclean thing 
As earlier in Isaiah, it says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Yesterday I was with a gentleman and really liked the guy and heard that there's been some opportunity, people have been witnessing to him and I was in a situation where I was like, man, there seems to be an open door to witness Jesus to this guy. And as he began to talk to me about God, there was no, there was no pause on his end to maybe hear a biblical perspective. And what kept going through my mind was, this guy's just not reasonable right now. This guy's just not, you can't, you can't bring this before this guy. He's not going to hear it. And the older I get, the more I find individuals who are not reasonable. And I would ask you today, could you be reasonable with the Lord? Could you be fair with the Lord? Could you set down your pride and your presuppositions, your precomposed ideas, and just humbly come before Jesus and let Jesus tell you what he sees about you? And perhaps he would just speak into you, I got to tell you, when I look at you, I see an unclean thing. But here's the good news. I've provided a cleansing for you. I've provided robes of righteousness that if you would just trust in me and come to me I will clothe you in white I will anoint your eyes with eye salve Jesus says so that you may see I'll give you that true eye salve and just as we're wrapping up here notice Jesus says to buy these things from him so we're going to bring the baskets around one more time with the ushers, and you can buy your robes of righteousness, and your dog's shaking his head like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Good, doc. Well done. Because listen again what Isaiah has to say about where you buy this stuff. And I like how he starts this. Ho! That's literally, I just read the Bible to you. Ho! Everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Yes, come buy. Remember he said, even if you don't have money. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. This is Isaiah 55 where he goes on to say, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon so where can one get this eye salve and where can one get this gold that's been refined in the fire and where can one get the, the garments of righteousness? Come to Jesus today. 
Come to Jesus and buy it for free. Return to the Lord today while he can be found. As the book of Hebrews says, today, while it is still called today, come to Jesus. Do not let your heart be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. While it's still called today, you guys, I mean, some of you have lived through some stuff and you know how quickly wars start invasions start, lands are ravaged, people are killed, accidents happen, and lives can be snuffed out. And while you are here, it is the grace of God that, look at this, we're in the beautiful park, in our beautiful town, nice breeze, and Jesus in his mercy is talking to you saying, dude, you have so deceived yourself on your approximation of yourself. You think you're rich, you just you think you need nothing, you think you don't need me, you think you can make it on your own. And I'm telling you, you're poor, blind, wretched, miserable, and naked. But just hear me out. If you'll just come to me today in this beautiful park setting, if you'll just surrender your will, surrender your pride, surrender your self-sufficiency, Surrender all of your preconceived ideas and just come to me. I will fix it. I will fix it. I will redeem it. And I will set you in a state better than before. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. I don't know, Rory. Seems like you're being hard on everybody today. Gosh, there was like one joke at the beginning, and then that's all we got. And then you just kind of went off on us and talked about vomiting. Yeah, kind of harsh. Kind of missed the old uh, rainbows and unicorns talks you used to do. And, and Jesus just says, guys, if I love you, I correct you. That's the God of the Bible. He loves you too much to let you st- stay the way you are. He gives us correction, discipline, spankings. I mean, read your Bible, read Hebrews chapter 12, and you know that if he loves you, he's going to correct you. Look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. And he with me. This week I heard of a new pastor who was visiting the homes of his parishioners. At one house it seemed obvious that someone was at home. The light was on. There was music going on. The blue from the TV screen. Yet no answer came from his repeated knocks at the door. So he took out one of his church business cards and wrote on the back, Revelation 3.20. And slid it between the door. Later that Sunday, when the offering basket went around during worship and the uh, tithe was counted, a card was given back to him. It was his own card, and at the bottom of the card was a cryptic message, Genesis 3.10. So he got his Bible out. He's like, well, I put Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears and comes and opens, I'll come in and dine with him. Well, what's this Genesis 3.10? He read it. I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, for I was naked. (laughs) T. 
2015, we were in Nepal in a Sherpa village. All these kids following us around. And I'm just wondering, how do I share the gospel with these little kids? And I went up to the hotel door, our guest house door, rickety, latched door. And I just went up to it and I said, Behold, behold, I stand at the door and behold, behold. And the kids loved it. They didn't know much English, but they knew that song. You guys, Jesus stands at the door of your heart today. And he's knocking. He's standing at the door of the lukewarm. And he's saying, I love you too much to just let you go on this way. If you could just hear. If you'll just hear Pastor Rory today. And just for all of the inadequacies. And, and what, just, could you just hear. I am knocking at the door of your heart. Philadelphia was the church of the open door for world missions. But... The Laodiceans was the church of the closed door. In fact, where is Jesus when you're speaking of this church? He's outside. He's not even welcome in anymore. There's a famous painting, and you might, right now, you already know what it is. That famous painting by Holman Hunt. I remember we had it growing up at our house. It was a painted picture of this verse. And the idea was that it was the door of a man's heart. And Jesus is standing there knocking. And at the great day of the art show, when Holman Hunt revealed his painting and the painting was unveiled, one of his friends said to him, you have made a great error. You forgot to put a doorknob on the outside of that door. To which Holman said, no, that was intentional. There's no doorknob on the outside of a person's heart. It has to be open from within. Now, I know there's a lot to be said there of God's great sovereign work in salvation. I'm not trying to make a point there except that this point mentioned here in Revelation that Jesus is knocking. And if anyone hears his voice, and it's interesting, notice the word anyone. It seems that if there was just one person in this church that would repent of lukewarmness and let Jesus renovate his life, there would just be an incredible work done. A work of intimacy. And we'll have the worship team come back up. Jesus will always come in if we invite him.